You are listening to ReachMD, XM233, the channel for medical professionals. Benjamin Franklin said, To err is human, to repent divine, to persist devilish. What do you do with the repeat offender? Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable. I am Dr. Bill Rutenberg, your host. And joining me today is Douglas Eldon, an attorney and chairman of the National Peer Review Corporation. Today, Doug and I will discuss how the peer review process works and its value within the medical community today. Hello, Doug. Hi, Bill. I mean, doctors are nice guys, and they try and police themselves. So tell me, why is peer review necessary, especially the external peer review like your corporation does? Well, our external peer review is necessary for many reasons. First of all, the peer review systems in most hospitals are not that good. It seems that it only operates when there's a bad outcome instead of trying to be educational and trying to look at a bad pattern of practice or physicians that don't meet benchmarks and uh, try to correct those patterns early. I was wondering, could you give us an example of an educational suggestion that you've made or how education has been applied to peer review? Well, we get cases that the practice pattern of a physician is uh, reviewed by another physician, usually a highly credentialed expert, and the highly credentialed expert may see certain patterns which show that there's either a lack of skill, a lack of judgment, or a lack of knowledge. And sometimes to get a physician back on track, so to speak, it just requires education. You mentioned the definition of a peer, highly qualified individual. The dictionary defines a peer as someone who has equal standing with another, such as in rank, class, or age. How can this really be peer review if you're bringing in an outside expert versus a member of the community or someone with a similar practice experience? Well, actually, peer review at the hospital level is peer-on-peer, usually the same physicians practicing in the same communities doing the same things. Uh, Unfortunately, in many communities, they compete, and we can't do that peer review internally, or the peer review system at the hospital has some other flaw. When we do external peer review, we don't believe in a fair fight, actually. So to say that they're peers would mean they're each doctors, they're each in the same specialty, but the people that we bring to bear are highly credentialed, who would provide instructive criticism to uh, the peer in the local community. Could you give us some examples about the most common occurrences or outcomes that lead an institution to initiate a peer review process? Well, they should be doing their own peer review. The problem is that most hospitals don't have an infrastructure to do their own peer review. So the only case that we seem to see are the ones with, quote, bad outcomes, the egregious cases. Are there some specific areas that seem more susceptible to error than others? Well, we always have surgery cases to review, cardiovascular surgery, cardiology. Recently, we've had a lot of gastroenterology. It's, it's all over the board. If you have just joined us, you're listening to ReachMD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. I'm your host, Dr. Bill Rutenberg, and we are speaking today with Douglas Eldon from the National Peer Review Corporation. I wonder, Doug, if you could give us some real-life scenarios from cases that your company has evaluated. People talk about peer review as punitive. It seems that in one community, the MDs were going after a particular DO. Nobody could review them at the hospital, so they sent it to us. We reviewed 60 of his complex cases. Turns out that our expert MD reviewer said that this DO was doing an excellent job. Of course, we had a few suggestions, but it's doing an excellent job. I heard just the other day from the hospital attorney that ever since we gave the report that the doctor was doing well, he's integrated into the medical staff and is now the chairman of the department. That's so very interesting. That's the good story. Do you want to treat us to a bad one? Well, unfortunately, 
peer review is, is not done well. It's usually done with, with bad outcomes or egregious cases. So the likelihood is that when we see external peer review cases, they are serious, and it seems that our peer reviewers are very always very upset about the way the patients were treated and the lack of patient safety. Have there been any incidents or behaviors that you have investigated that really knocked your socks off? Well, the disruptive provider always knocks my socks off. We have a on our website, nationalpeerreview.com, we've put out a hospital peer review guide handling the disruptive provider. And in there, there's an initial quote from Horty Springer, a law firm, discussing what a disruptive provider is, and then there are a whole bunch of examples from the from the cases. And the interesting thing is that in each different hospital setting where I've been, both as an attorney and as a peer reviewer, the disruptive provider usually makes the same arguments. It's always protecting the patients. It's always abusing the nurses because they're incompetent, and there's a whole list of these things. You mentioned the expert coming in. It sounds like there's really just one peer reviewer. Is that person kind of judge and jury then? There are several ways to do external peer review. Sometimes the hospital will call a local physician to come in. Physician does a review of the charts. They write a report, and they give it to the hospital. We find that those reports are inadequate. What we do is our physicians review the cases, write the report, and they send them to us first. And as lawyers, we look at this and we ask questions to make sure that there's no equivocation in the report, to make sure that they put references in, to make sure that we cut out statements which are extraneous to the case. There is usually one expert. However, we've got four or five cases going now where we have three experts review, let's say an anesthesiologist, a surgeon, and one other specialty, because those were the people involved in the case. What happens if they disagree with each other? We've had these cases uh, of multi-specialty cases on several occasions. So far, we've been able to get all the specialists to agree over the last five years of doing this. Could you explain a little bit more about the process itself? Hospital A gives you a call. They say they have a particular problem with the physician. What sort of data do you gather? How do you analyze it? What is the final report format? What we do is we ask the hospital to send the to copy the cases and send them to the physician with the imaging studies, copy the cases and send them to us without the imaging studies. And we try to get the hospital medical records and all the imaging studies we can. We try to get the office records, anything that they can give us to give us insight. We like them to, to put in writing as to what they think the problems are. Now, many hospitals say, oh, we don't want to tell you what the problem is. We don't want to prejudice you. Well, that's not going to happen. I mean, if we've had occasion where the hospital thinks it's one problem and either it's no problem or it's another problem. So we get all the information we can. We do a thorough investigation. And as we review it, if we find that we don't have things, we keep requesting it. How do you choose a peer reviewer? We inherited a highly qualified network from Interqual Incorporated, which did this before we did. Uh, we were the attorneys for Interqual. And when they sold in 1998, they dropped this business off and we picked it up in 2000. So we had several, several physicians. What we do is we use those physicians as a base, and as we need specialties, we, we make requests. And sometimes we can, you can even, I've even found two or three on the internet, and we look at their CVs, we check the references, we do what we have to do to credential. This is a little sort of under-the-counter kind of question, but have any of the peer reviewers ever been sued for their work or the company itself? No. That's good news. <laughs> That's great news. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that we don't believe in a fair fight, that these, these physicians are so highly qualified, and we provide such references, and it's reviewed by lawyers, that we don't have the problems of people coming and suing us. When you say you don't believe in a fair fight, 
Does that mean that the reviewers come in with a bias or prejudice against the physician? No, actually, it's just the opposite. The last thing in the world, and this is what is part of the problem with peer review at hospitals, aside from the fact that the hospitals don't have an infrastructure to perform peer review, aside from the fact that the hospitals don't have a peer review manual so doctors know how to perform peer review, the bias is we don't want to ruin a career of a physician. And that bias pervades our reviewers, too. So tell me a little bit more what you mean by you don't believe in a fair fight. I mean, that just sounds so ominous. Well, on many occasions, we get a call from, let's say, a rural hospital. And they say, well, we've got a country surgeon. We'd like you to recruit a country surgeon who's just about the same as our guy to uh, review. And our answer is, is that, you know, there are community standards. However, there, you know, there are national standards. And the physicians that we have that are so highly credentialed are aware of them. And they take these community standards into consideration. We don't want it ever to be said that our peer reviewer is equal or maybe uh, less than, less qualified than the person being reviewed. The peer reviewers themselves, would you accept someone who had been sued? It depends on the case. Just like being a doctor, once you're sued, doesn't mean the limit stop you from practicing surgery or, or pediatrics for that matter. The physician with the behavior problems, do you make specific recommendations for remedying that situation? Well, I can only speak as a lawyer about that. We have, over the last three years, developed a disruptive provider review a review into the the professional conduct of the provider. Thus far, even though we've advertised, and not one hospital has asked us to do that. That's really surprising. Because there are so many, and every hospital has two or three. I thought that would be a a real big seller, as they say. We've certainly all heard about the OR scenario when the scalpel gets flung across the room. Makes me think of the Johnny Carson sketch when the the hatchets were being thrown (laughs) at I've really enjoyed speaking with you. Do you have a take-home message for physicians? And we'll talk maybe more about how to prepare for a peer review, but is there a take-home message? I'll give you an example. Here's my take-home message. Hospital in Hawaii, talking to the chief of staff. They asked me, can I do this? I said, of course you can do that. And says, where is it written? The problem is that the hospitals don't have written peer review manuals. What they have is three or four spots in the bylaws, which may not constitute more than a page, which tells them how to do it. With all the liability attached, they don't want to perform it. So what they need is to get their hospital to get a structured peer review system with an infrastructure. I want to thank Doug Eldon, who has been our guest. We have been discussing the peer review process. I'm Dr. Bill Rutenberg. You have been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on Reach MD XM233, the channel for medical professionals. For comments and questions, please send your email to xm at reachmd.com. Thank you for listening. I wish you good day and good health.